The Tile Shop's exclusive trade program helps pros deliver the highest quality work to their clients with benefits including exclusive pricing, free samples, a customer referral program, and more. From premium installation products from brands like Ardex, Weedy, and Superior to full collections with coordinating trim and accessories, your local tile shop has everything you need for your next project. To learn more about the Tile Shop's Pro Rewards Program, visit tileshop.com. Until you've done it, until you've played center, most people don't realize how hard it is. When you got Vita Vea, who's <laughs> 6'4", 370 pounds, making $20 million a year as the best nose guard in the league, standing over you, and you got to stick one hand between your legs and try and move and block him. Welcome to episode 134 of the AT Construction Podcast. And in this episode, AQ Shipley joins us. He was here in studio, here local in Arizona. AQ, recent uh, coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played for Tampa Bay when they won the Super Bowl. He's also played for the Colts and Ravens and Cardinals. And in this episode, AQ just shared so much uh, perspective, right, on athletics and business, how they correlate, company culture practice, repetition, right? Studying film, understanding how to specialize, but not only specialization, but also versatility, understanding how that can become such an important key to business or athletics. And he just shared so much about his drive, his personality, what what wakes him up, what motivates him, and just so much great content that all of us can apply to business, to our employees, and a lot of great information here. So without further ado, let's get started. And just a reminder to sign up for the Contractor Coalition Summit. It's that simple. ContractorCoalitionSummit.com. Morgan and Jamie from Construction of Style, Nick Schiffer with NS Builders, and I will be hosting this. This will be in Nashville on Sunday, May 1st through Wednesday, May 4th. It'll change your business. Go sign up. We'll see you there. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And here live in the studio, we have AQ Shipley. Welcome, AQ. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So AQ is a former NFL player. I mean, you've been a journeyman, played for lot of teams of course bruce arians you know good friends with him and uh you were also coaching recently in tampa bay and you know we had dj humphreys on who's i you know met dj through hassan actually reddick that's playing cardinals and again we'll get into this but you know dj looks at you as a huge mentor which you know all of us in life business athletics you know we need good mentors and do you feel that like that is part of the reason that drew you maybe into coaching right away right when you finished playing yeah i mean i think you know at the end of the day right like i've I've done this my whole life, right? I've, I've played football from the time I was, God, I don't know, I mean, second grade maybe, right? So at the center position, it's it's the, I don't you know, I'm biased, but the I brain. think it's, it's the brains of the operation, yeah. right? So for me, I always kind of had a, to be that coach on the field, I guess, is the way that, you know, to look at it. And I think from that standpoint, I was always... I don't want to say coaching other people, but I was the one getting everybody on the right page. I was the one pointing it out, letting everybody know, because everybody else, you know, they know their assignment, but they only know their assignment based on what I call, right? So um, from that standpoint, I always kind of felt like I had that operation in my hand, right? And so whenever I started getting towards the end, you know, the fourth quarter of my career, I I was like, oh man, like I think I could be pretty good coach. And, you know, so I thought that would be a great transition. And fortunately for me, I was able to, you know, uh, slide right into that with the opportunity, you know, that Bruce Arians gave me, um, going playing to coaching right away. And so, um, it was a great transition. It's just, you know, for me, I, I, I don't, I didn't want to miss this time in my kids' lives. So that's, that's kind of where I backed well, off of it. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, super gracious for you to make time. Cause I know you have two kids, one on the way. So pretty exciting times for you and the family. And, you know, going back to the center side, I mean, maybe this is important for those listening, you know, for no one that's played at that level, right? or especially center, as you mentioned, it's the brain of the operation because there's so much conducting and coordination you're doing between everyone on the line and, you know, reading the defense. I mean, how involved are you that with the quarterback, just understanding where the blitz is coming, who's blocking, you know, the the different schemes from run to pass and everything in between? I mean, that's the part I enjoy is the chess match, right? Like I enjoyed the process every week of, you know, learning, you know, the plays stay the same for the most part, but everything gets kind of tweaked from week to week based on how we want to identify it, how match-ups. we want to you know, matchups, create matchups, uh, you know, and who we want to attack, right? There's, there's all the different variables that kind of go into that from week to week. And so that part of it, I loved. And yeah, I mean, getting on the same page with the quarterback and they see things differently 
you know, in the different nuances between plays than maybe I do or even the coaches do at some point. You know, a play is designed a certain way, but they may like, may see something on the backside of a play that really isn't something. But, you know, for that week, they like that matchup. So then, you know, they'll kind of, uh, I don't want to say audible, but, you know, they'll kind of have their little um, variable off of that play, you know, one-on-one talking with the receiver or whatever it may be, right? So those are the things that I loved, you know. And then here's the best part, right? So you you spend Wednesday through Saturday really game planning. And at the end of the day, as soon as the first series is over, it's it's, it's a whole screen. new game plan. Yeah. You, you got to go back to the drawing board every series because everything you thought they were going to do, now they have a new vi- new variation to what they're doing, And right? So it's a constant chess match, you know, Wednesday to Saturday and then Sunday, it's a constant chess match throughout the game. So how is it, you know, I've always wondered, you know, someone with your physique, I mean, you're super athletic still. I mean, AQ, you're in phenomenal shape and we've been out golfing before and, you know, you haven't missed a beat. I mean, you're a tremendous athlete. We can get into that as well from other sports you played. But how do you keep yourself healthy when you look at the NFL for 16 games on the line, you know, just that beating and car wreck ascension. I know even early in your career, you work, you know, back when they had the wedge and, you know, on kickoffs and stuff, you were involved in breaking the wedge. And <laughs> so, I mean, there's just so many things that how do you even stay healthy throughout that, that long career? Part of it's luck, right? And part of it's just kind of doing the right things. And I wish I had, you know, a veteran mentor to kind of show me the ropes, I guess, earlier in my career than I learned. I probably learned really the right routine for me in probably year six or seven. And that's kind of where I'm, I don't know if this is going to be a long-term thing, but I ended up, uh, you know, I coached this year and then one of my kind of pet projects was um, the backup center for the Buccaneers. And so he was a right tackle at Notre Dame. His name is Robert Hainsey. We drafted him in the third round. Great kid, great player. Um, spent all year with him, kind of converting him to center. And, you know, it was really cool to kind of, you know, just have a blank canvas and bring him up through. And so um, as the year went on, you know, I'm working with him at center, center, center. And then, you know, by December, I think he loved what I was doing. And I think by December, I kind of knew I was, you know, possibly on my way out in the coaching world. And so, he came to me once I once I kind of made it official that I wasn't going to be coaching and said, hey, would you mind if I came out to Arizona and trained with you? So that's um, kind of making a long story short, but he came out here the last month and trained with me, and I just exposed him to my entire routine as a player that I had from body work people, from you know, getting the blood work to find out all the things that go into your nutrition, your diet, all that stuff from the massages, from the physical therapy, from the stretching, from the mobility on your off days to the lifting, the running, the football stuff. Right. And so I basically put them through my entire routine and exposed them to everything that I had from year six, seven on. So hopefully him now being exposed to that in year one, two will only benefit him down the road. And like I said, I wish I had that in year one and two. I love that you shared that. You know, I look at it from my business, right, in construction, and I know you have some familiarity with that, right, AQ, because you've been doing work on your house and oh, yeah. <laughs> working through that stress. It is the industry right now with supply chain and everything. But what's interesting is I've always said, you know, I was taught young that it's like chase experience, not money, right? And it's easier said than done. And and you think about that, you know, there's, I, I was listening to podcasters recently, Colin Cowherd, which I'm sure you know, and he was saying, you know, chase good management, right? And it's really, du- it's really tough. In the NFL, it's, it's it's really impossible because for you guys, I mean, you get drafted, you're signing maybe a free agent deal. I mean, you don't really have any control over that. But as you mentioned, there there's a lot of value to having a good mentor. And this is something when DJ come on, I've talked to DJ and he said, you know, when I came in the NFL, you know, he was like number one athlete in high school, you know, number one lineman, gets to the NFL and he's like, if I didn't have AQ, like I would not be where I am today because he was such a mentor and he really helped guide me. And, you know, I look in business, there's a mentor here and I'll give him some credit, Rod Collum, who builds custom homes. And I'm not really a competitive Rod, but he pulled me aside and he's given me a lot of counsel in the last five, six years of my business. And it's like, it's really set the tone being around people such as that. And I'm sure for you, AQ, I mean, as you mentioned, I mean, your career could have been different. I mean, it was a great career, but how would that have been different if you understood training, diet, you know, nutrition, stretching, you know, all these things that go into play as an athlete? I mean, it would have been huge. And that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at now, right? I mean, my my career was good. I mean, it was a 12-year career in the NFL. Which, which is, is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time, and, and, and I kind of – I worked through it just kind of blindly, really. I mean, obviously, I had the ability. I had 
um, some things and I really had kind of a rough go the first couple of years, but then kind of once I kind of found my niche and, um, things started going my way and probably year three from that point forward, I, I kind of, I had a very clear picture of where to go. And for me, I was never the biggest. I was never the strongest. Obviously I was, I was a great athlete. You have to be to, to play in the NFL. Right. And so, but I was, I was, like I said, I was never the biggest. I was never the strongest. I was never the fastest. So my ticket was right here. It was in my mind. Right. Mm-hmm. So I always just kind of, um, approached every off season that if I was the smartest guy in the room and I was, if not the most in shape, one of the most in shape guys, and I would never wear it, wear down. That was my approach. And so up until I was 31, I had zero surgeries. Um, I just, I, I did things right. I was available, which, you know, it's so funny. It's, you hear all these cliche terms in the NFL, but I still to this day think it's, it's the most true. Your, your best ability is availability, right? Mm-hmm. And so far too often this league, NFL stands for not for long, right? Guys get hurt early, boom, they're in and out in two or three years. And so for me, they could always count on me being available for the most part. Now, towards the end, the body just started saying, hey, man, we're done, you know, and, you know, I get, a, I get an ACL and, year 10 and then a neck injury in year 12. So, um, you know, those things just happen. Your body just breaks down. Right. And that, that, that was where I was towards the end of career. But early on in my career, it was always taking care of my body and being the smartest guy in the room because coaches want to be able to trust you. And if they can't trust you mentally on the field, they can overlook some of the things that maybe you don't have if you're smart and give them everything where you're not creating a bunch of mental errors on a day-to-day basis. It's such great counsel, IQ, because I look at this, you know, as a business owner now and when I was an employee, and I remember I was working for a big firm out of college, right? And we were doing the Omni Monolacea, which is not too far from you. And I was talking to the director of operations at the time, and he made a comment. He said, you know, as, as director of operations, you know, assistant to the owner of the company, he said, when we're hiring people, and especially as we're looking, you know, at training and who are going to invest, what people are going to invest in, who are the ones that are reliable, who are punctual, who are going to show up Monday morning? not hungover, ready to go to work, you know, be efficient, be here when I need them, be willing to learn new things. In construction, it's an industry where uh, it's not dinosaur prehistoric, but we're reluctant to change, right? And, and as you mentioned, you're, one of your greatest assets is your mind, right? I mean, you're extremely bright guy, IQ, which really helps, especially at the center as you're the brain of the operation. And, and what I've seen is that that availability makes a huge difference. And that's why there's so much correlation between business and sports is that if you're available and you work hard and you're in shape, I mean, it's going to prolong and you know, there's going to be something coaches seeing you that's going to uh, continue to give you play, playing time and, and, and be a benefit and, and, you know, add to the team. No question. I think the other, I mean, you hit a bunch of, a bunch of those words that I like too. And the other one's accountability, right? I think those are, that's the one thing that most people don't realize, especially in the real world. And that's the one thing that I have a hard time with, because especially, you know, just dealing with whatever it is, it could be as simple as um, buying something online, right? And you know, then it doesn't come on time or it doesn't, or say they dropped the ball and they forgot to even push the order through or whatever it is, right? Who's holding that person accountable, right? And mm-hmm. that, that, like, that's where I come from in a, in a different place when it comes to the football world. And that's what most people don't realize. They see the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers, those guys that have had these 18 year careers. Well, I see the guys that get the tap on the shoulder every Tuesday when they screw up and they don't have a job anymore, right? So, that's that's the behind the scenes business that most people don't realize about in the NFL where accountability is everything in the NFL. It's like, okay, cool, we're going to go out and we trust this guy who hasn't played the first 7 weeks of the season. Now our starting corners out. Well, guess what? You're the in. next guy's in and you're expected to be as good if not better than the guy that was in there for the first 7 weeks who's out this week, right? And guess what? If you're not, there's a very strong chance on Tuesday they're bringing five guys in. If they like one of those guys better, you're out and they're in. So when it comes to accountability, like that's, that's my biggest, you know, reminder of where I was in the NFL in that world. So now when I take it to the real world, I, I try and hold people to that same kind of accountability. How is that, you know, f- from the mindset of someone who's backing someone up, I mean, how, how difficult is it to be engaged throughout film study, throughout the week, training? you know, in preparation, because as you mentioned, it could be the drop of one play, an injury, uh, whatever it may be that they're now called to duty. You got to come in right away. I mean, how difficult is that to kind of 
pick up that baton and go. It's super difficult. And it's funny as like the average fan, the average fan just expects that person to go in and play well, right? Like if you're the average fan of an Arizona Cardinals, right? And it's your starting guard who's making nine million a year goes down. Okay, now this guy goes in and he's making seven hundred and seventy thousand dollars this year, right? There's a reason he's making Yeah. A heck of a lot less than that guy, but you expect him to do the same, right? Oh, let me by the way, uh he's been sitting around for two hours, cold, right on the sideline. Side not warm. Not warm. And like that, you know, this guy gets hurt and he's got to go in, in the middle of the third quarter and be expected to go stop Aaron Donald. Like that's the world of a backup in this league. And most people don't realize I've always said being a backup's almost harder. Than being a starter, because when you're a starter, you 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 know what's happening. You're in. You're getting all the reps in practice. As a backup, you get two to three reps with the starters. The rest of the reps you're getting are the other team's reps. Because now you have to simulate the Los Angeles Rams offense when we're playing Los Angeles that week. So you're not getting the reps that we're getting against Los Angeles's defense. But you have to know it mentally, because if you have to go in the game, you're the guy, right? So you don't get those reps. You're sitting around for two and a half quarters cold. Then you have to jump in and go block arguably the greatest player that's ever played the game, right? So that's that's the role of a backup. And most people don't give those people enough credit, but it's it's so true. It, and, and then you're sitting around with a lump in your throat, like every time the guy that you're watching is getting a little, uh, getting up a little slow, or he's got like a little <laughs> limp on the way back to the huddle. You're like, oh, is he, go, is he, is he out? Am I in? Like, you know, and then you're trying to get like stretched out real quick on the sidelines and you know, and then have to be able to go. So, yeah, I mean, I, I I have so much respect, the utmost respect for all backup, you know, six, seven, eight guys that, that are, you know, on the offensive line or whatever it is in any position, just being able to have to go in on a whim and be able to go. How does it, you know, and, and to that point, how is it from the speed of the game for someone such as yourself that, I mean, you played for a big program, played for Penn State, right? And, you know, so you, you played for very prestigious university and college, you know, you played big competition playing Ohio State in these big universities, even from that level, from Penn State to the NFL, I mean, what's the jump? So I've always said this, right? Um, what's the best way to say this? Okay, so I've always said that I don't think, like people don't get stronger, bigger, faster just by going one year from college to the pros, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're playing against, like for me, for instance, you know, when I was in, when I was at Penn State, right, guys I played against, David Harris, who was a first-round pick from Michigan, right. you know, Alan Branch, first-round, maybe the first pick of the second round from Michigan, right? There's James Laurinaitis, first-round pick from Ohio State, right? So then you go to the pros and you play against the same guys, and it's like all of a sudden, like, they're moving faster. They're not, they're, they didn't get faster. They didn't get stronger. They didn't get bigger. It's just everybody's reaction time is a tick quicker, right? So now when you're playing Penn State versus Ohio State, and um. It's a, it's a great matchup, right? It's a, it's two top ten programs. When I was in school, it was number six versus number three, mm -hmm. right? And uh, let's just say off that team, you know, that senior year, let's just say five of those guys from Penn State and seven of those guys from Ohio State go to the pros, right? Well, now those seven, coupled with three from Michigan and two from USC and two, from, that's the team now. Now you. Now, instead of you playing against seven of the best, now all 11 are those guys, right? All 11 of those guys think that much quicker, react that much quicker, right? So that's the difference. I don't think um, the the size, the speed, the strength is different. It's the reactionary time. I think that's the best way to put it. I love how you broke it down that way. It's funny because so Hassan, you know, before he left to Carolina, now he's with Philly, He, I'd bring him to play basketball with me. And one thing I, that, that I've noticed, especially playing some of these athletes, like I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not at that level, right? I'm not at the level of you guys that have played at this advanced, you know, professional level. But watching Hassan, you see his reaction time, as you mentioned, like he's so fast and twitchy, right? It's mm -hmm. a good example on the basketball court, you know, especially playing defense, still in the ball blocking. You know, he was so quick. And then you think about that, as you mentioned, it's not that, you know, Ohio State and Penn State have great athletes, but when you're taking the top, you know, the, the top. The, the top three or four, the top five or six, and from all these schools to put them together, that's where you see the difference. 100%. And then for me, the greatest that I ever played against, you know, on the defensive side of the ball was Luke Keekley, right? Luke mm -hmm. Keekley was able to process things pre-snap so that when the snap happened, he was already ahead, right? So 
based on formation recognition, based on, you know, studying a film and watching, you know, different motions. Okay, well, every time they motion two by two to three by one formation, they can only do this, this, or this, right? Every time we go three by one to two by two, they can only do this, this, or this, right? Then you, now you start looking at little cues. Okay, the guard's sitting back in the stand, so it's either going to be a pass or he's pulling, right? Now you start looking at which way the center's pointing. Is he pointing the mic? Is he pointing? Who, who's he pointing? Now you break down all those things, and oh, by the way, seven seconds, right? At the end of the day, by the time the offense breaks the huddle, from the time there's that and we snap the ball on offense, he's got seven to ten, maybe twelve seconds at the most to process all of that stuff and. As the ball's being snapped, he's already running because he knows it's a toss play, right? Like, it's it's ridiculous to watch some of the reactions, some of the process. So, it's interesting. It's funny you say that because I, I was listening to another podcast and I'm talking about Des Bryant had to tell that every time that he was getting the ball, like, he would tighten his gloves, right? He would tighten his gloves. And so, the corner knew that it was coming to him. But, you know, from your side of Q, especially playing line, I mean, you had an amazing athletic career. I mean, you won state in basketball in high school. I mean, you wrestled your first year and I think you beat like the previous state champion like yeah. right away you know how do, do you feel that helped you know playing football to have played other sports and just having some versatility 100% yeah I mean I, I would recommend that to everybody everybody that has kind of been on this craze of just specializing in one sport it drives me insane right and because the odds of you specializing in one sport and actually making it are slim to none right so why not become the most well-rounded person why not Learn something from uh, baseball hand-eye coordination that helps you in football, right? Why not learn, you know, fast feet, quick agility, whatever it may be in basketball that helps you in football or, you know, wrestling when it comes to balance, turning into an offensive line, right? Like there's so many different carryovers. And I always love the stat every year in the Super Bowl where they're like, you know, whatever, 90% of the 106 players on NFL roster in the Super Bowl were multi-sport athletes in mm -hmm. high school, right? So the fact that we constantly see coaches or people drive or push people towards one sport is, is still mind-blowing to me when you watch it on the world's biggest stage every year of multi-sport athletes. Well, it has to do with injury too, because you're strengthening different muscles. You're not just isolating certain parts of your body. You know, you, there's different activity that's going to help the, the, the overall core. Sure. And you know, when I when I think about business, I mean, it's really important when you think about like my business, like it, it's really important that I understand my lane, if you will. Like there's, I have to be, uh, you know, very seasoned and educated in, in the product we're doing. But at the same time, it's really important to understand to be versatile, right? To understand other aspects of the business, other consultants I'm working with, architects, you know, how they're running their business. You know, even, you know, for us, we do commercial residential and that kind of helps us, you know, collectively to understand how to strategize different between the companies. And so it's very similar to sports in that sense, AQ, as you mentioned, that you may specialize in football because you're an exceptional athlete, but these other sports have helped create different understanding and approaches to your training and just mindset as you prepare for each game. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I took so much out of every sport I ever played. I played baseball. I gave it up after my freshman year just because I, um, I just felt like I, in order for me to get where I wanted to be football wise, I needed one of those seasons off so I could train mm -hmm. lifting, doing all that stuff for football. Cause I, I didn't lift nearly as much as I probably should have, uh, during basketball season, which after watching all these Michael Jordan documentaries, I probably should have, <laughs> cause the guy was lifting before games. Was, right. Yeah. And so but no one knew back but then. Nobody knew back then. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I, and it, to the contrary, right. Most people don't know this. I think it is a little documented maybe, but like I went to college as a defensive tackle and I played defense at Penn State my first two years, right? And so I still to this day attribute a lot of how I was able to see the game from the center position as to knowing what I was doing in that same position or who I was going against on the defensive line, right? If I was going against a nose guard, how would I treat that if I was playing nose guard at that time. And so when I would watch film, I would say, okay, like, how's this guy going to play me? How's he going to, because I would study the game from basically the other guy's perspective against me and know how he's going to attack me and, and vice versa. And also, you know, just from the defensive side, having such a knowledge of, you know, where blitzes come from or, um, 
you know, what coverage is being played behind it, like how how that all worked into it on the defensive side of the ball. When I moved over to offense, I could see it clear as can be. So for that standpoint, it always helped me so much when I moved over to center. I could see that, how the defensive line now, you know, understanding that mentality from that side and, and the coverages and blitz schemes and, you know, stunts or anything you're doing, how that's going to affect you blocking. Why move? Why did you move from defensive line to offensive line? Uh, I mean, the, the great Joe Paterno called me into his <laughs> offense and it was, it was real simple. It was one of those deals where, you know, he kind of called me in and, you know, and, and maybe fewer words was pretty much like, hey, listen, I think you're a good nose guard, but I think you can be a great center. Um, we just lost our center to graduation. You could slide right in and jump right in. If, if you buy in right away, you can be the starting center. And so I moved over after my redshirt freshman year and started that year at center. So being that you had some experience coaching, you know, what are you looking at? How, you know, putting your, maybe yourself in Joe Paterno's shoes, especially when you were a coach there for a little while in the NFL, how do you look at athletes? I mean, are you able to look and say, you know what, I think there may be some, some tendencies where they may be a little bit, you know, more successful in another position. You know, it's interesting because um, that was really my first um, experience of doing that this past off season. So right when I signed on to coach, very first order of business, we were still working from home because of COVID last year, right? Mm -hmm. So we were still working at home. So I'm out here and the Buccaneers sent me you know, a list of draftable guys, right? Hey, we want you to look at these draftable centers, guards, and tackles. And I think the hardest thing for me um, last year, because I've never really had to do that, um, so it took me kind of a little bit to try and put my eyes in those shoes, I guess. And it's funny because the guy I mentioned earlier was one of the guys who I had to do what I'm about to Your say about, report, right? Yeah. And so... um. Looking at a guy who played four years at tackle and then saying, okay, we see this guy as a center, or this guy who's a three-year starter at right guard, but hey, we see him as a, as, a, as a center, or this guy who's a left or right tackle in college, and hey, we see this guy as a guard, right? Like For me, at first, watching that stuff, I had a very hard time kind of seeing that, or even, I guess, what's the best way to say it is, Knowing, I guess, if I'm right by saying, oh, yeah, I think he's going to be a good guard. I mean, I guess it's all yeah, just a knows? toss up in the air. You don't know, right? right? So, But that's kind of what these scouts do. They sit there and they watch and they're like, oh, we see, like, for instance, this kid was a four-year starter at right tackle at Notre Dame. He's 6'4". He's 305. He moves well. He's long. Maybe his arms are a little shorter than the average at tackle. So we see him as a guard or a center, right? So they base everything based off numbers, I'm assuming. But, like, for me... I've always kind of been against that whole analytic or number side or number side. Like yeah. for me, like my eyes tell me if a guy can play by watching the tape. Yep. And so that was, that was the hardest thing for me, but I guess the best way to say it is, you know, if a guy can move well, if a guy's moving good competition off the ball, right. If he is playing with length, if he's playing with good technique, there's usually a solid chance he can transition to really any of those positions. Unless, you know, for me being six foot one, like you probably don't want to put me out at tackle, right? <laughs> like that's probably the one place where I can't be. But like for, you know, if you're a six three, six four guy, there's probably a pretty good shot. If, if, if you show that you're athletic enough, you show that you're physical enough, you show that you play with a little bit of a mean streak and you're smart enough, there's probably a pretty good chance, you know, as long as you can handle the snapping portion of things that you can move to center. So, um, and that's the hardest thing. And that's the other thing. There, there's the other side of the equation. And until you've done it, until you've played center, most people don't realize how hard it is when you got Vita Vea, who's <laughs> six four, three hundred and seventy pounds, making whatever he is, twenty million a year as the best nose guard in the league, standing over you, and you gotta stick one hand between your legs and try and move and block him. Yeah, and you're already on the defensive because you're hiking the ball. Because you got the ball between your legs, right? So that's what most people don't realize. Because it, it's funny, I, I until I they had my perspective, you know, on the coaching staff this year, that was like the joke I'd always have with our offensive line coach, who I played under for eight or nine years. I would always say to him, I'd be like, "Hey, man, like I know your answer is always, well, if he can't do it at guard, we'll just move him to center." <laughs> it's like. 
you act like it's real easy just to move in there and put a ball between your legs and then go block somebody who weighs 360. Like, yeah. it's not that easy. I promise you it's not that easy. And then until they got that perspective and I kept saying that, then, then I think they kind of got it a little bit. Well, there's one thing because the nose tackles typically are like some of the biggest players on defensive Huge. line. And, and again, like you said, leverage-wise, you're one hand hiking the ball, so you already had disadvantage from the start. 100%. So, you know, do you see a lot of position changes or mostly offensive line? I mean, does it happen pretty often that someone was in guard center tackle? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be some position flexibility amongst the offensive line. It's probably the most position flexible group, right? You have to because, one, injuries. Injuries, roster limitations. Roster limitations, right? So you can only really carry, most teams carry nine guys. That's about the average. Then new normally like two practice squad guys. So you really have eleven guys really on the team once the season starts. But on game day, you can only dress. The old rules were seven. Now the new rules, and I don't know if they're going to keep them. But for the COVID year and last year, they they allowed eight offensive linemen to dress, which was the, that was a huge help, right? Because then yeah, you need that one extra. One. Then you have a center, a guard, and a tackle basically. Yeah. Whereas if you have seven, then that's where the position flexibility really comes in because now. Your one backup has to be able to play center or guard. Your other backup has to be able to play guard or tackle. So that's kind of where you're at. Because now you lose someone in the first quarter. Now you got one backup. Let's say it's a center, right? Then you only have one center for the rest of the game. And then the other guy has to be able to play all the other four, right? So that's kind of where the position flexibility has to happen. And that's where like, you go into training camp and you've been a left tackle at James Madison, let's say, your whole career in college. And now we draft you. And... You're you're not going to start because you're going to a team that has all five starters back on the offensive line. So okay, here here how's your or what is your best option to make this team? Okay, well you have to be able to play left tackle. You have to be able to play right tackle. You got to be able to show that you can at least get me out of a game at guard. Okay, we'll keep center out of the equation for you, but you got to be able to at least show me you can play four positions. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty you know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra-contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are Build a Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. And many of the guests that we've brought on the podcast are also Build a Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal. The other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Build-A-Trend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. 
in the homes we build, it is amazing how tile is such a feature of the home. It creates such a beautiful accent. It brings the warmth. It brings the hospitality to the client themselves. And the relationship with our vendors is so key. And there's no one better than the tile shop that not only have this amazing product that beautifies the home, but they can also deliver, especially right now with product supply chain and communication. And they communicate, they deliver, and they execute. The Tile Shop carries a selection of more than 6,000 in-stock tile and natural stone products, including full collections with coordinating trim and accessory pieces, options ranging from durable luxury vinyl tile to intricate water jet mosaics, mean you're sure to find the perfect tile for any project, whether it's a small bathroom renovation or an entire custom home. They collaborate with renowned brands such as Laura Ashley, Annie Selkie, and Morrison Co. to create exclusive designer collections only available at the Tile Shop. Explore their entire assortment online at tileshop.com. It's amazing. I mean, it, it, it sounds so much easier than it is, right? As you mentioned, I mean, yeah. you've kind of gone through some of the technical side and, and the training side, which is part of it. I have Willie Bloomquist on and, and he, he, he said that for him to have such a long career in Major League Baseball, right, was that he, was, he played essentially eight positions. I mm-hmm. mean, everything but pitcher and at the professional level. And he had to learn, you know, positioning and, you know, from outfield to infield and, you know, but that prolonged his career, as you mentioned, has become valuable, right? All of us, as, whether we're employees or owners, how do we create value for our clients? How do we create value for our employers, you know? And, and, and really that's what it comes down to, to be successful in life. Going back to the college side that we touched upon AQ, I mean, you mentioned that you got to play for Joe Paterno. How was that, you know, especially coming out of high school, being from, you know, Pennsylvania and, you know, you know, being recruited for someone such as Joe Paterno, how was that coming out of high school? I mean, it was unbelievable. He was, uh, he was, he was the staple, right? When I was, when I was coming up, it was, you know, where I grew up in really like, a an Irish Catholic family, right? So I grew up outside of Pittsburgh and there were two teams we watched. It was Notre Dame and Penn State, right? And <laughs> yeah. that was, that was it. And so for me, when I got kind of the point where I was starting to get recruited, I started getting offers from everybody. And, you know, I, I, I had my final three come down to really Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State. I looked at Notre Dame. I looked at Oklahoma. I looked at a few others, but it came down to really those three Big Ten schools. And um, one of the coolest moments, that's a really cool story, actually. So people always wonder, like the, the Joe Paternos, the Bobby Bowdens of the world, when they got up in that age, like, were they still doing stuff? Right? Uh-huh. Were they still coaching? Were they still recruiting? Were they still involved? Were they still doing all that stuff, right? And so when Joe Paterno recruited me, this is a really cool story. So he, I, I don't know if they drove in, probably drove because it was you know, a two-hour drive from Penn State to where I lived outside of Pittsburgh. And so it was him and the guy that recruited me um, who recruited Western Pennsylvania, who was a legend in kind of the Penn State world too. His name is Tom Bradley. He coached up there forever. So they come in and everybody, you know, here comes Joe Paterno and Tom Bradley walking into little moon high school right outside of pittsburgh and everybody's like stopping what they're doing it's like <laughs> i mean this guy's a legend right and so right. walks in my high, uh, my high school coach comes and grabs me out of my class he was a teacher in the school and we kind of go into this little conference room so it's my high school coach it's myself tom bradley who like i said is recruiting me and joe paterno my high school coach was a pretty good college football player uh back in the day played at nc state was a starter there was Really good football player. So Joe starts telling stories, and he was a great storyteller. So he's telling all these stories and talking about coaching. My high school coach goes, hey, uh, Coach Paterno, you know, I was on that 67 NC State team that came up to Happy Valley when you guys beat us. And Joe Paterno, like, without skipping a beat, and he was like, he was like, oh, he was like, you were on that team. We beat you guys on a goal line stand. He's like, I don't know if you remember it or not. But I called this play on on first down. I called this play on second down. I called this play on third down. You guys ran a fullback dive on third down. Our guy jumped, made the tackle. This is 1967 he's talking about. <laughs> he's like, our guy jumped over the line, makes the tackle for no gain. You guys go for it on fourth and one. You run a play action rollout to the right, and we run run you guys out of bounds and win on a goal line stand. And my high school coach walked out of that meeting like, this guy just talked about a play, a series. From NC 40 State, years yeah. ago, from 40 years ago, and literally was spot on with the entire series of plays on the last series of the game. He was like, that's unbelievable. I mean, the guy, the fact the guy's almost 80 years old at this point, 
and is still that sharp is mind blowing. It's amazing. It's amazing. The recall. And I'm sure for you, it's the same. Like you can imagine, not even imagine, but you can recall so many different plays because it's just so ingrained, all the preparation and study that goes into it. For sure. So how, you know, as you look at this now, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh or, you know, outside of Pittsburgh, playing for Penn State. I mean, you've, you've played all over the country, been in different climates. Why Arizona? Oh, it can't beat it for me. You know, (laughs) I grew up and fortunately, I mean, I, I love my roots. I love growing up in Pittsburgh. I loved everything about growing up there. My family's still there. My sister's in Philadelphia on the other side of the state. So like, I still know everything about that state of Pennsylvania and I love it. I really do. I loved growing up there. I hate waking up to gray. Yeah. And really only having two seasons. I mean, you kind of skip spring, you hit a little bit of summer, and then you kind of skip fall and you hit right into winter, right? So for me, um, you know, whenever I played in Pennsylvania, then I get drafted by Pittsburgh, I go to Philadelphia, I go down to Baltimore, all similar climates. And then go to Indy, pretty similar climate. Indy was always like a day before or a day after, depending on which way the weather was coming, right? right? But it was still similar weather to Pittsburgh. Well, then I get this call. Hey, come on out to Arizona. Okay, cool. I come out here. And now I wake up to sun. Every day. 355 days a year, right? And I never understood it. Like people always like, still to this day, people are like, oh, here he is, a grumpy AQ, <laughs> old grumpy AQ, right? <laughs> but I never understood how much the sun can affect your mood, yeah. right? And like growing up in Pittsburgh and tough steel town, right. you know, you're kind of like wired to be hardened, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why that's where the grumpiness, right, comes in. <laughs> well, then I come out here and I'm just like happier because I'm waking up to sun every day. I know there's, there's no question what I'm waking up to. And for me, you know, eight months, nine months out of the year, I get to wake up to beautiful weather for the most part. And even whenever I always equate the summers to the winters back East, right. But the difference is I can still go outside. I can still get in a pool. I can still see sun. I can still enjoy the likes of outside. Yeah, it's a little hot, but the no humidity factor is huge, especially being in Tampa the last two years, like 75 and humid swallows me alive. Yeah. 110 and no humidity out here in the middle of July, I can still go run 20 You'll still be out golfing. Yards. I'll still be golfing, yep. you know? And so that part of it was big. And then not to mention during the whole COVID thing, I think that was a huge seller for my wife, right? And so during COVID, whenever, you know, everybody's basically stuck in their house and, you know, really couldn't do anything back on the East Coast, especially like she's from New York, right? New York had much stricter mm-hmm. kind of mandates and everything, you know, really than the rest of the country whenever everything was going on. And you know, she'd call her sister and her sister hadn't left her house in 25 days in the middle of February, March with two young kids. And it's like, still when it was bad, like, and the weather was nice here, we could still go out and walk on a trail. We could still Mm -hmm. go out and ride our bikes outside. We could still kind of, so I think from that standpoint, that was a, that was a huge seller for her. Yeah. It it makes sense. And plus you live in a great area. We're not going to get that way, but you live in a great area town where it's open and it's like very suburbia family neighborhood, which is great for the kids. And um, you know, going back to the career side, you mentioned this earlier, you know, when we we're talking about mentors, when we started, you, you said that like year six or seven is really when you started to understand a little bit more about the preparation and the nutrition. Was there a mentor? What, what, what was the switch that flipped at that time? You know, really it was Carson, Carson Palmer when I, when I came out here and that was, uh, he was a huge, he was huge for my career, honestly, cause he very similar to kind of what I did with with Robert this off season and kind of exposing everything, anything that I had, you know, I was, I was coming in and then I was going to be a center. And so any, anytime I was banged up, anytime I was, uh, really anything I would go to him. And so, Hey, my ankle's bugging me. Hey, you got to go see this guy. Hey, this, Hey, well, if you're not seeing this guy three times a week, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> right. Hey, well, you know, I want to maybe, you know, towards the end of my career, I was playing early at 310. You know, now that I'm starting to get older, I want to drop a little bit. I want to get down to, hey, well, go go talk to this person. Go see this person, right? And so he, he was great from that standpoint. And I think he was not only with me, I mean, with everybody. I mean, anytime um, anybody really had a question on really how to be a professional, all you had to do was watch him. I mean, it was Larry Fitzgerald was very much the same way, right? Like those two were huge mentors for me. And not even so much from a talking standpoint. All you had to do was watch. 
he just sat back and watched they were you could you could learn so much and and they were they were great from that standpoint and that's what i did you know as a younger guy regardless if i'm year 10 they're still year 14 15 if i'm year six they're year 10 11 right they're still older right always and so um i would sit there and i i've kind of always been a student from that standpoint or a sponge from that standpoint when i was in baltimore i would watch a Lodi nod right uh, who played forever as a great mm-hmm. defensive tackle when i was in india i would watch reggie wayne um Antoine Bethay, like some of these older guys that kind of been through the ringers. When I was in Pittsburgh, I mean, I had a, my rookie year, I kind of learned a lot. I was just too naive at that point to kind of swallow my pride because I felt like I, you know, I'm this big shot coming out of Penn State, right? Like I, I don't need to watch But meanwhile, I had it all before my eyes. I had Troy Polamalu, I had James Harrison, I had Ben Roethlisberger, I had fast Willie Parker, I had, you know, all these great, Brett Keys will played forever. I mean, there's so many great, great players that I just had at, at my disposal to just watch how to be a pro. And when I finally figured it out, you know, I was able to kind of just look back on all that information. And, but like I said, I think probably when I came to Arizona, Carson was probably the biggest. I love that. Cause it is funny. I had early on, I had Jeremy Andrews, who's the CEO of Traeger, right? Traeger grills, you know, the smokers. Mm-hmm. And when I had Jeremy on, he made a comment. He said, you know, when you look at your company, company culture is everything. And it doesn't matter how talented the individual is. It doesn't matter how experienced they are, how good they are at sales or how good they are at whatever. If they affect the company culture, you know, in a negative way, you have to get rid of them. And he said, I didn't know that early enough in my career. And I looked, you know, after that conversation, I had someone in my organization that was really very confrontational with everybody. It's really difficult. And this person I had to let go and our company was so much better for it. And you think about company culture, it's something I talk a lot about on the podcast because having good company culture resonates. It makes everything different. How important is that? And, and you've alluded to this at the different teams you played with. And when you're looking at a team organization, the culture, the camaraderie, the leaders that are there in the organization that are really setting the tone. I mean, how important is that, especially when you're trying to orchestrate, you know, orchestrate 22 players you know, on any given Sunday? This is where I circle back to why I don't like numbers and analytics and all that stuff because you can't measure this part. Yeah. You cannot measure this part, and I think it's the most important part. I'll take five guys on an offensive line that love being with each other, love doing everything with one another on and off the field, that their level of play um, goes above and beyond kind of what the numbers say their level of play should be just because they care for one another. They they you know, they're great locker room guys. They're great guys on the field. They're leaders. They do all the right things. Everybody looks at them because they do the right things on and off the field, right? I'll take those five guys over five guys who don't want to hang out with each other, who there's no chemistry on and off the field, but man, on paper, those guys are good, right? So for me, I don't think you can put enough emphasis or stress on having good locker room guys. And you don't need 53 of them. You don't. You can get away with having, you know, three or four guys who maybe aren't the best character guys, but guess what? You got 28 awesome character guys that kind of reel in the rest, right? And and they can police the group. They can police the locker room, and they can kind of bring everybody um, all together. Best I've ever been around was Tom Brady. I mean, he was unbelievable. It just, you saw people act differently because of him, because of what he meant, because of what he brought, because of, um, just his level of compete, right? And so, why is that? What makes him different? Because I, I mean, think, and and what's interesting is you played with Ben, you played with Carson Palmer and Tom Brady. I mean, you had really unique relationships with these amazing quarterbacks. Listen, there's there's only a handful of you know, and I love this this saying. I heard it. I don't know where I heard it, but I mean, I've I've heard it recently of the one of ones, right? Like, there's only a handful of those guys, and there's a reason. They are the one of ones, the the Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordans, the Kobe's, the Tom Brady's, right? Like those guys are one of ones because they're different. And the reason they're different is winning is everything to them. I mean, you've you've seen the documentaries on Tiger, you've seen the documentaries on Michael, and you lose friendships over it. I mean, you honestly lose friendships over it because they will win at all costs. And if you can't help them win, you can't you can't be there 
Like that's literally the way they operate. And so Tom, there was, there was no time for shenanigans. There was no time for messing around. If it was a Wednesday through Sunday, it was about winning and whatever we had to do to win, whatever, if we had to spend more time doing a walkthrough, if we had to spend extra time doing a walkthrough, uh, if we had to change the way we practice, we had to change the way we did something. If we had to meet Sunday morning with just the skill guys before game, okay, cool. If we had to get the offense aligned and the whole offense together Sunday in the locker room before, perfect, we're doing it. And you got guys who have maybe never done that, maybe never bought into that. If somebody else was kind of running the show, cool, maybe we're not doing that. But guess what? You're doing it for that guy. And I don't, I, you can call it an aura. You can call it uh, scared. You can, you can call it whatever you want, but whatever it is, you buy in. It's interesting because I heard you on the Pet McAfee show say this. And um, looking back, just as far as like just relationships, business, psychology, whatever you want to call it, right? When I was in college, there was a class I took, and my, you were in college. I mean, most have been there sometimes here in these classrooms where there's 60, 70, 100 people right in your class. Sure. So it's the first day I walk into a class, and the professor, as I'm walking in the very first day of class, never met this guy. He says, hey, Brad, how are you? Welcome to class. And it kind of threw me off because I'm like, how do you know who I am? I've never met you before. Yeah. There's 60 kids in here. And what I found later in the course is that he would memorize, like he would spend time memorizing everyone's face and name before they came in. And that had a huge impact that he knew my name. And really, that I got the most out of that course in any course I took in my four years. And it was just simple that he knew my name, right? Because he got my attention. And you had said this at even Tom Brady, like he you know, he'll learn everyone's name, you know, he's texting him on the Super Bowl, like we're going to win this game. I mean, there's something about, and I, I tell this to my team all the time is that it's one thing to show up to the job site. And if you're trying to be the superintendent and manage people, manage men and women, there, this goes a long way when you know everyone on site, the roofer, the framer, the tile guy, and you know him by name, you know, maybe you're bringing him lunch, maybe you're bringing him a drink. These little things have a huge impact where people actually want to go to battle because they feel like you care. It's not just, hey, I'm here serving you or I'm performing my job duty and I'm eight to five, whatever, there's something more to it because it's more personal. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I was, like I said, I was blown away the very first day. I think the story you're alluding to on, on Pat's show is, I mean, the very first day I showed up, it was, I mean, I was on a five-day COVID protocol, so I'm stuck in a hotel for the first five days I'm there and can't practice, can't do anything. And then now here I am the first day, so now everything's rushed, right? So I get in at like seven in the morning. I got to get all my equipment. I got to go see the equipment guys. I got to go make sure my physical is good. And then we're starting practice at 8.30, right? So now I got to go get dressed. I got to do this. Now I get dressed and now I'm walking out. I'm going to the training room to get my tape and do all this thing. And there's Tom's locker kind of right by the door to go out. And he sees me walking over and he's like, hey, Q, what's up, man? Heard a lot of great things about you. I'm Tom Brady. Nice to meet you. I'm like, I mean, I, I thought that was really one of the coolest things that really happened. Because, I mean, this is the guy that's arguably the greatest to ever do it, right? And haven't met him yet, knew my name, had heard about, took the time to learn whether somebody told him something or whatever, but made a point to come up and, you know, mention me by name and you're hundred percent right. And I do still to this day, I think my dad used to, we used to do the same thing. I'd go on these college recruiting trips and we would look at the media guides and just, my dad was a big proponent of, Hey, understand, know who the academic advisor is, the recruiting coordinator, the guy recruiting you your position coach and the head coach know those five people every school we go to. And we would do that. And I would always know those names and know those faces. And still like to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm a big, I always talk, tell my wife the same thing. Anytime we get introduced to somebody, I always repeat the name. Hey, I'm Mike. Hey Mike, how are you? Like I always do that just to kind of re ingrain it in my head. And I do, I think, I think anytime you know somebody's name or don't forget somebody's name, I think it goes a million miles. It's really, it's really hard to do, especially if you're at a networking event, you meet a ton of people, you know, to remember that, to recall that. I mean, it, it takes practice, right? There has to be a conscious effort that when you're introducing yourself, you remember someone's name. And, and I love that you spoke about the culture side because I've seen this where, uh, you know, as I, I've, I've tried to figure out, okay, how do we do this in our industry? I mean, construction is a tough industry, right? It's, um, it, it's funny because I know the builder that actually built Carson Palmer's house in Sun Valley, right? Mm -hmm. He's a good friend of mine. He's part of my Builder 20. And, you know, there were some bumps and bruises, I think, with the builder with Carson and now Carson, now that he's up in Sun Valley, he's doing his own construction and he saw the builder and he's like, I feel your pain because like, this is way harder than, 
that I that I anticipated doing to myself. But the funny thing is, it's a tough business. And I've said, okay, well, how do we build this culture where it's not just we're at work? Maybe we go to lunch together. We're we're on text change. We have fun. We send funny memes to each other, right? And what I've noticed is for you, like you, DJ Justin. I mean, you guys played together for a short stint in Arizona, but you're like best friends still. You're wiser friends, and and I could see to your point where there's this cohesiveness where your friends on the field and this culture is created and how important that is because it's just, it, it, it goes way beyond the football field. hundred percent. And you know, the funny thing is it, it evolves, right? And so, you know, everything is about stages in life, right? And so you come in as rookies and you're a single guy in the NFL, the first time with money, the first time with experience, first time with you know, some some sort of fame and people know who you are and it's all about, you know, working your tail off during the week or during the season and the off season. It's, you know, going on trips and getting together with the boys on the weekends and this, that and the other. Well then here we are, we fast forward a couple of years and now you're married and okay, cool. Now it's dates, you know, with the four of you. And now here you are, fast forward five more years and now you're sitting there with two kids and you're married, right? So then how does it happen when you go to a new new team, right? So like one of the biggest things that I did, like that I certainly wouldn't have done obviously much earlier in my career, but whenever I signed with Tampa, you know, I'm moving my wife across the country with a two and a half year old and a 10 week old, right? Because we just had a baby <laughs> in July and I get signed in mid-August, right? right? So move across the country, I'm playing in Tampa and the whole reason I'm going there is hopefully to win a Super Bowl, right? So we're there, one goal in mind, and and she moves down with me and knows nobody. Now she's a trooper obviously for that, but how do I how do I make my life easier? How do I make her life easier, right? Now I gotta start now I gotta find guys with kids roughly around the same age as my kids, right? right? And so that's that's like literally now fortunately for me, you know, Bruce Arians is the most loyal dude in the world. And, you know, you have four or five guys that I've played with before, whether it was in Arizona or wherever, that, in different places with Bruce on the team. So, you know, I had some friends, but it you still you still have to look out for now your family, right? And so I find people with kids the same age as mine, and now those are the guys that I try and become friends with. So now we can do play dates outside, right? And so, and make her life. And now here we are two years later, and, you know, to this day, you know, one Tuesday on an off day, I meet this guy, Josh Wells, great buddy of mine, who's got an awesome wife, Morgan. She's amazing. And their two kids are the same age as my two kids. And we're as good of friends as you can be with that family now. And now Sherry's pregnant. We're due here in three weeks. Morgan's pregnant with their third. And so like, they've become lifelong friends in that little time just because of the evolution of where I am in my career and how can we make everybody's life easier. And now you, you know, meet somebody completely different that maybe you wouldn't have met as a 23 or 24 year old rookie at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. So, well, it's interesting as you surf together, as you work together, as you've like gone to battle together, essentially, I mean, there's, there's camaraderies, there's friendships that are built, you know, what, what's that like when you, you know, to get to the, when you think about the NFL, any sport for that matter, I mean, to win a championship. And I, I think out of any sport, you know, basketball, there's five players. You can have some dominant players and really control, right? NFL, there's a lot of luck, right? There's a lot of strategy there. As you mentioned, chess, there's injuries, you know, the ball has to bounce your way. I mean, there's just, it, 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 it's so difficult to get to the top. What was that like to finally, um, to be there, you know, and get the, you know, to win the Super Bowl? I mean, you were there in Tampa when it happened. Yeah, I mean it was. It's I mean it's the pinnacle, right? It's the absolute pinnacle. That's what you. That's what you play for. You can make all the money in the world. You can, you can do all, the things that you want to achieve individually. And if you retire without a ring, there's still a void, mm -hmm. right? And so, um, for me, it was that. That's where it was. And so, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I get injured, right? But mm -hmm. fortunately for me, like I still felt like I contributed because I. For sure, I played that year. I got there two starts. Season, yeah, 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 and you know, that it would have it would have felt a little different if I didn't play at all. But like I said, I got I got two starts. I, you know, played against two really good teams. We got a great win in Carolina. Had most rushing yards for the whole season in that game when I was in at center in Carolina. And then the next week, play L.A. That's the game I get hurt and a two minute drill at the end of the game. But 
held Aaron Donald to zero sacks, zero hit, zero and um, zero tackle, zero hit, zero sacks. And so that was that was a solid <laughs> way to kind of go out, and you know, especially after seeing what he did this year. Yeah, know, exactly. So, and then um, you know, we we go on, and my my role kind of changed the last half of that season. And, you know, we're seeing this magical thing kind of take place the last eight games of the season, and. I've never really been a part of anything like that. It was really cool to watch. You know, we're sitting there at seven and five and like questioning whether or not we're even going to make the playoffs, right? And then you win the last four in a regular season. Then you win four on the road at Washington, mm-hmm. on the road at New Orleans, on the road at, Green, at Bay. Green Bay. And then, you know, you win the Super Bowl at home against Kansas City, which was never a close game. And mm-hmm. uh, that was so cool. I mean, you're sitting there in the mid third quarter and you're like, man, we're going to win the Super Bowl. Like, this is unbelievable. And so, you know, to be able to experience that was, um, Really nothing better. Well, that's amazing. And, and, and as we close here, I won't be sensitive to your time, but I know that you and Pat have a great friendship, you and Pat McAfee, and, you know, he's, he's had you on and said nothing but great things about you. And, you know, I've been fortunate to meet you just through connections. And, you know, again, everyone has that most respect for you, AQ. I mean, you're a phenomenal, you know, mentor. And as you said, you know, giving back now. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, where, where your career goes now. But how did that friendship start? Did you guys become friends there in Indy? Yeah, so I, was, I told you a little story off air. I'll, I'll give you the, give you the full story. So, was, you know, we go to the college football award show in college. He's at West Virginia, arguably the best punter. He probably should have won it that year. And he's up for the Ray Guy Award, and um, I'm up for the Remington Trophy. I ultimately win. I'll still rub it in his face. He lost. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, so we're there. You know, down at ESPN College Football Award Show in Orlando. We're standing on the the boardwalk, Disney Boardwalk, and. You know, we're there with, I mean, everybody, Colt McCoy, Des Bryant, you know, there's all these great players that are up for major awards, Walter Camp, All-American, Andre Smith, who won the Outland Trophy, all these guys, right? And so they got a couple events, and then we get done with the events, we go back to the hotel, it's like 9 o'clock, and he's like, you going to your room? I'm like, ah, I don't think I'm going to my room. You going to your room? I don't think I'm going to my room. We're from Pittsburgh. Let's go get some drinks. All right, perfect. So we go out, we burn the house down, it's... <laughs> I don't know, two o'clock in the morning, we're coming back from like downtown Disney. All the people who are like running the award show are like in the lobby, like looking at us, like, where you been? We're like, sorry, we, they're like, you know, whatever, just go to your rooms. Okay, sounds good. Fast forward, I think that was 2008, I want to say. And so fast forward four years later, and I end up signing with the Indianapolis Colts. And at the time, I want to say the GM might have been Bill Polian's son, Chris Polian. And so Chris Polian's walking me around. They're going to sign me uh, to the Colts. And Pat's rehabbing his knee uh, from off-season surgery. So he's in the building. Very few players are in the, in the building in the off-season, right? But he's in the building rehabbing his knee. And Chris has given me a tour facility before they sign me. And we're kind of going through the hallways. And boom, we run into Pat. And Pat's like, hey, you guys are signing this guy? He's like, we got so drunk four <laughs> years ago. This is amazing. And I'm like, bro, can you not say this to the GM four minutes before they're going right. to sign me? Like, <laughs> Anyway, so then, you know, I sign, and that was going into the 2012 season. Our lockers are literally right next to each other. We're from Pittsburgh. We had a great time. We just kind of hit it off and um, clicked, and friendship only grew from there. And that 2012 season was a pretty magical year, too. We went from drafting Andrew Luck number one overall, no one picking us to do anything, and go 11-5 and five and make the playoffs on a pretty magical run. Chuck Pagano got cancer that year. That's mm-hmm. when Bruce Arians yep. took over as head coach. And Oh, yeah. That's kind of where the whole uh, Bruce Arians and my connection kind of started to take off as well. Yeah, and you've been with them a long time, which is pretty neat. I mean, you made some amazing friendships, and yeah, AQ is pretty awesome. So from your side, you know, what's you know having coached in the NFL, having played in the NFL, having an amazing journey Super Bowl. I mean, what's what's next now? Great question. Um, you know, I think for right now, it's just you know when I made the decision and. Uh, after the season to call Bruce after taking a few weeks just to kind of confirm what I was feeling. It was, um, I made that decision just to, that I, I did not want to miss this time with my kids. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I got a four year old, I got a almost two year old and we got one coming on the way here. So we're gonna have three kids under four basically. And so I wanted to be there during this time and I did not want to spend, you know, the crazy hours of the coaching world. So uh, for right now, I told my wife I'd come home, you know, after this season and just kind of play dad, help her out kind of all the way through summer and then start trying to evaluate things in August and, um, whether or not, you know, 
jump I, I got so many friends in kind of the podcast world whether or not we go that direction whether or not i dive into the broadcast direction whether or not i mess around in the real estate world mm-hmm. um there's a bunch of different kind of things and even the training me. world as you mentioned i mean just yeah. the training side and then i got you know a couple i got the one guy now but if if that ends up being something that i really enjoy which i did enjoy that this off season so far and um or even just kind of having my hands in a bunch of different things i don't know we'll see what happens but fortunately i don't have to rush into anything yeah and uh you know it's kind of where i'm at right now i'm kind of enjoying just dropping off my daughter at school and training myself focusing on my health and family life well you look good super healthy and you can't get those years back with the little ones so yeah i commend you aq it's awesome and where can our listeners find you uh so at aq shipley on instagram at aq shipley on twitter and really it i mean i don't really mess with twitter too much but instagram's kind of my world yeah well thanks for coming on aq you've been awesome you got it man so thank you all for tuning into the podcast today and just as a recap if you check the show notes they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss and also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation so if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to they're outlined by the time that we discuss those And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.